welcome to the fifth and final episode of Launch Week. Today's guest is Matt Phelps, the founder of Metabolic, the company of which I am the CEO. He is my partner in growing and spreading Metabolic across the country, and I wanted you to spend some time to get to know Matt because Metabolic is an enormous part of my life, and not every episode of this show has to do it specifically with metabolic, but everything we talk about is intrinsic in what metabolic is and how he and I run this company together. And I wanted you to listen to our conversation, not just about where he came from and and the amazing entrepreneurial story that he has, but ultimately how two people from very different places with different styles can come together and grow a company as partners. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get to the episode. All right, dude. So uh, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks. It's, it's weird to sit on this side of the chair, but I'm excited and honored to be a part of your first week of the Ryan Hamlet show. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good to be back on the air. This is technically my third podcast that I've had. Um, but I got to say, I think for this particular iteration of podcasting, I'm, I'm incredibly excited because um, I, I really want to dive into business stories at a richer level than just like marketing. I want to really get into, and in particular, this is what I'm most interested in speaking with you today about is like, obviously today, founder, president, chairman of the board, head of corporate location, develop whatever we want to call you in metabolic today, you wear many, many hats. I want to talk more about your your genesis of, of getting into uh, Phelps Gym, how, that iteration, and, and talk about that process and, and even go back into some of the early days of when you just started to get involved in fitness. Because I really, what I'm super interested in and, and what I find so intriguing about your story is the the origin of your becoming an entrepreneur and, and all the iterations that it took to get to where we are today. So so maybe take us back a little bit into kind of what got you started in fitness to begin with and, and some of those um, early positions that you held in the fitness industry. Yeah, so I think taking it way, way back, um, I think I've always had entrepreneurial tendencies. I remember as a kid, I must have been eight or nine years old and my mom bought me this book and I, I still remember the book. I don't know what it was called, but it had like, it was basically teaching little kids how to, how to make money, lemonade stands, mowing lawns, stuff like that, shoveling driveways. I feel like no kids do that anymore, but that growing up in the eighties, that was a real mean means of income. And so I, I always had baseball cards were a huge part of my upbringing. I, I actually think baseball cards might have spurred all of this, but I had all, I always liked to make money. I don't, and it's kind of funny because I think the feeling I get from that, it feels like I'm winning a game. I don't necessarily love like spending money. I'm not a super materialistic guy. Everyone who knows me knows I, I really hate traveling, so I don't do a ton of traveling, but um, I've always had those kind of entrepreneurial tendencies, which would serve me well later in life, uh, years down the road. But I've always liked working out. My story in fitness, I in first grade, I was placed in a, a special gym class because 
I couldn't do um, chin-ups or push-ups to a certain level, I guess. And they, I, re- I remember I was, so, I was smart, so I knew what they were doing. I was so embarrassed. They pulled me out of class, and I had to leave the class with the regular kids and go to the special gym class. And I wasn't dumb. I knew what it was for. And I was so humiliated that I, I went home, and I, even at that age, I was doing push-ups. I was running laps around my block, and I vowed to myself I would never go back to that class, which I didn't. And... Um, I think from then on, it just kind of enlightened me that, that there's this thing we can do where we can work on our bodies and get stronger and more athletic and, and more conditioned. So I started, I started at a very young age, you know, even when you're in fifth, sixth grade, you're doing the mile run, taking the, the presidential fitness exam. Do they still do that? I don't even know, but you know what the blue patch is, I'm sure. Yes, the red yeah. patch and the blue patch. And, you know, I was always a red patch guy, but I wanted the blue patch so bad, but, um, no, so it just started then, and in college, I really got into lifting weights, and uh, you know, like so many other people, when I graduated college, I was an English major, I could write very well, didn't know what I wanted to do, and you know, one thing led to another, and I, I went to grad school and got my master's degree in exercise science, and kind of that began the genesis of my career in fitness, where I really started working with mostly athletes, because I thought I was going to be an NFL strength and conditioning coach, and I kind of led me down the path of, of working with the general population. Is that every, like, like when you're getting your master's degree and in exercise science, like, like is, is the, is that like the pinnacle, like NFL strength and conditioning coach? Like, is that, or, or some sort of professional athletic, is that, you know, was that where everyone kind of shoots for at the beginning? Yeah. Well, so the program I was in, I should say, uh, I was in the applied exercise science program at Springfield college. In, in Springfield College is like the Wharton School of Business for strength coaches. Oh. Like if you look at NFL rosters and NBA strength and every other pro sport, I bet you like a third of them have degrees from Springfield. It's a very well-respected place to uh, receive your education in, in that line of work. So that is a very in-the-trenches type of, type of uh, experience. And so everyone in my program was there to be a strength coach. And it's funny, as I think about it now, like the Colorado football, uh, the Buff- Colorado Buffalo, the U-, U Colorado football strength coach was in my program. Um, I don't know if he still does it. This guy, I, he might have been the Cubs strength and conditioning coach. He was in my program. Um, there's just a bunch of other people out there who are pretty big names in the fitness industry today. So that was the intention. But for other people out there with an exercise science degree, I mean, you can work in the labs, you can do research, you can teach, you can do a lot of different things with it. But I always knew I wanted to apply it in that setting. Um, I actually didn't end up getting my degree from Springfield because I was a, I got a job offer to be a collegiate strength coach um, before I graduated. So I ended up getting my degree online from a place I've never been to, the California University of Pennsylvania, which I guess is near Pittsburgh. I've never been there, but uh, yeah. So an interesting route to get my master's degree, but I got it nonetheless. Yeah. What school did you get the, um, did you get the job at? Uh, my alma mater, Siena College. Nice. Uh, the basketball coach at the time was this guy, Rob Lanier. I had volunteered with them the year before. He really liked me. I must have made a good impression on him. Um, and he lobbied hard that I get the position. I was a certified strength and conditioning coach for the NSCA. Just didn't have my master's at that time. But I was in the program to get this type of job. So, you know, I left the program because I, I received the job of a lifetime. And I knew I was doing, I was so ecstatic that I was offered that position to be the strength coach at Siena at the age of 23, that I, I remember the AD gave me a salary and he told me, he told me my salary was going to be $23,000. 
And he could have literally said $14,000 and I would have been just as excited. I was so pumped to, to take that job and to, and to do what I loved and, uh, you know, and, and to take that on at that time. I just, I'll never forget that feeling of when he called me and offered me the job. And, you know, that's how I knew that I was doing what I was meant to do. Was, was that a, so it wasn't a tough decision. I think a lot of people who would be in a program like that, even though they're maybe, I guess, the job of a lifetime or exactly what you want to do, that job is offered. You are giving up on, to a certain extent, you know, the opportunity to finish your degree. And there's a stigma that comes with that. Did any of that play into your mind? Or you're just like, this is what I've always wanted to do. I know I'll finish the degree at some point and I'm going for it. Yeah, not really, because in the strength and conditioning world, it's all about who you know, it's connections, especially professionally, collegiately. Like they don't, it's great to have a master's degree, but if you have experience and you know the right coaches, you're going to bypass all the people that have the proper uh, the more advanced education credentials, to so to speak. So it's a little different. I guess it's not that different than other industries in that sense. But it's, it's not like as a lawyer, you need to have a law degree to practice law. It's not like that. So um, it was a really easy decision for me at the time. My now my now wife and I were, were dating and, um, you know, we'd been dating for two or three years. And, you know, I, I kind of wanted to spend more time with her and she was back in Albany where I got the job. So, you know, as a 23 year old dude, it was a pretty easy decision. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So now you're at Siena and you're the strength and conditioning coach. Um, you're obviously not still the strength and conditioning coach at Siena. So what, what happened next? How did that play out? Yeah. So I, you know, I was the strength and conditioning coach there, um, for, uh, almost three years, uh, about two and a half years. I was the strength coach there. And it was at Siena that I learned how to work really, really hard if you want to make it in the fitness industry. I was responsible for 19 Division I athletic teams by myself. And, you know, my day would often start at, you know, 5.30 a.m. And, um, you know, I'd work out. I'd have a small break at like 11 where I'd work out and I could get some lunch. My day would pick back, do some programming. My day would pick back up around 2. And I was there until 6.30 or 7. And that was Monday through Friday. I didn't really work on Saturday or Sunday too much. Um, the basketball coach wanted me to warm up the team before games and practices. So if they had a game on Saturday, I would go do that. But I was happy to do that because I was honestly, I still am. And I'm also an alum of the Siena College, so I'm a fan of the program as well. So, I mean, that, was, that wasn't even work to me. That was just fun. Um, but... As time went by, uh, you know, I knew that I got engaged to my, to my wife or my now wife at the time, my fiance, and I knew that I wanted to um, make more money and they didn't, they didn't really give me much more money. And I, I was having a great old time, you know, I was, you know, 23, 24, I was going out to the bars, racking up an enormous credit card <laughs> on money that with money I didn't have, but I was having a good time and it, it was fun. But I quickly realized like, look, I got to make some money doing this. So I had the opportunity to go down to Maryland, uh, the D.C. area in Bethesda, Maryland. I worked for this guy, um, Jason Hadid, for Elite Athlete Training Systems, it was called. And it's too bad because he was actually, he was actually murdered a year after I was hired. Um, and I came back up here um, around that time and, you know, started Phelps Gym. But, but what he taught me, he taught me so much about the private sector, the business, and it's a shame that he got murdered because he was such a charismatic, dynamic person. He actually would have made a phenomenal metabolic studio manager. He would have been fantastic. But he taught me so many things about sales, uh, you know, about how to treat your clients, about how to how to maximize your income as a personal trainer, um, you know, 
the kind of car you should drive. Like he just, he was a real mentor to me and I, and I looked up to him, to, to him a ton. So um, when, when that all happened, um, it was very sad, but you know, I came back up here and, and kind of got my Phelps gym project going, which was something I w- had honestly planned on doing anyways. It just kind of was circumstantial that his, his passing occurred around that time. But I had a great year in Maryland. I made, I made a lot of friends, um, a lot of the guys I worked with for this company. One of them is now the Washington Wizards uh, strength and conditioning coach. Another guy, Colin Quay, he ended up taking over the company from Jason after he passed. Um, this guy, Alan Stein, who was, uh, you know, he trained Kevin Durant. He was like the basketball strength and conditioning guy. He actually, I think, does more motivational speaking now. He wrote a book. I, it's terrible. I should name drop the book. I forgot the name of the book, but um, he left the company. Uh, I think it's called Raise Your Game. Yes, Raise Your Game. That is what it's called. Yep. Raise Your Game. Alan Stein was my boss with Jason. They were partners when I went down there. So I know Alan and, uh, you know, like I learned a lot from those guys. And it's funny because I remember looking up to them and I think they were like 32, 33. <laughs> but yep. at the time, I, you know, I had all the respect in the world for, and still do for them. And the experiences I had down there were great. Came back up here, though, because my wife was a teacher. I was a trainer. We quickly figured out that we could make the same income living in upstate New York and pay about half the price that it costs to live in yeah. one of the wealthiest counties in America. So. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, Silver Spring, Maryland area, definitely um, definitely more expensive. I, I spent five years there. I also... Um, racked up an incredible amount of credit card debt. Well, it's funny, uh, actually, so funny side note, we, um, I hopped around when I first moved down there, I lived with my buddy Scotty and we lived, he had a, he had a great situation where we lived in a townhouse in Silver Spring and he basically had this situation where there was three or four of us from college and we paid a cheap, in fairness, we paid a cheaper rent to stay with them. We each rented a room. I, we were paying his mortgage in his townhouse. He's a smart guy. That's Scott Hines. Um, I stayed there with him for a bit. But then Kara came down several months later. And she found on Craigslist this million-dollar, literally million-dollar condo. But the people had bought it as an investment. But they wanted a young couple to house it because they legally couldn't rent it for a year. So Kara and I walked into this we lived in a million dollar condo, a bathroom, the biggest bathroom I'll ever have in my life, like beautiful place. Like I, I didn't let any of my college friends over because I was petrified of breaking something. It was unbelievably nice, this place. And I remember pulling into the parking garage in my like my rusty uh, Jeep Cherokee from like 98. And I would park it between like brand new Beamers, Lexuses, Cadillac. Like it, it just my car was the only one that wasn't a luxury vehicle. So it was just really funny. I said to Kara, I said, I think we're doing this backwards. I think the nicest place we're ever going to live in in our lives should be coming later. So yeah, very affluent area. Yeah. So you come back up to, um, you come back up to New York state, you're now back in Albany. And I know you said you started Phelps gym. What does that look like? Like when you say you started Phelps Gym, like like explain to me what that is because this is really the the birthplace of what is metabolic today. Um, and I think it's it's interesting and has always been intriguing to me, like what you initially thought the focus of your training work up here was going to be. Yeah. So while I was in Maryland, you know, like as you've learned about me, my brain, my brain works hyperspeed. I'm always looking ahead. I always look ahead. I always look ahead. It's a gift and a curse at times. But, uh, you know, I've always been very visionary with what my future looks like. And 
I was training out of this beautiful facility down there. We had every line of Nautilus, hammer strength, tons of machines, turf field. It was awesome, but I just missed the, the, dun, the dungy, primal, you know, blue collar Sienna weight room, you know, I, with no AC, um, you know, cold in the winter, hot in the summer. Like I just missed that, you know, and I, I got strong as hell in that gym. And when I went to Maryland, I, I got a little stronger down there, but I was just, I felt like something was missing. So I discovered this guy on YouTube, Joe DeFranco, who's one of the top strength coaches in the country. He's based out of Northern Jersey near where Bergen Catholic is. He trained Brian Cushing. I don't know if you remember mm -hmm. him from the Texans, um, but he trained, he trained him since he was in high school. And he kind of, that's how I noticed him because I saw some clips of Brian training when he was in, I think, college at USC in DeFranco's gym, it was called. So this guy, Joe DeFranco, I just kept seeing his warehouse style gym. I loved the look of it, loved it. So I remember Jason and I and one or two other strength coaches, I think Colin went, someone else, we drove up from, from DC to North Jersey to, to check it out. And the second I stepped foot in it, I was like, I want to do this and back home. Like I want to move to Albany and I want to open a warehouse style gym and just train athletes. And so that, that kind of like got those wheels turning in my mind. Um, you know, I, I remember I went home for probably some week long weekend or something to visit Kara and, you know, I didn't have any money. Um, but I knew like my, my grandfather might be able to help me out. My grandfather has since passed on, but, um, my grandfather was the kind of guy, you know, he was, a uh, he grew up in the great depression. He, you know, he fought in world war two. He, you know, he, he was the kind of guy, he literally would find coins on, on the road. And from January 1st of one year, to December 31st to the other area, he would, he had a notebook and he would write down how much money he had found. And he had this like, Oh, 1986 was my best year ever. Like he knew exactly how much money he had found. You know, he clipped coupons. He worked, he was a bank inspector for like 30 years. So, you know, very, very, uh, frugal, I guess I could say. Uh, so, but I knew he had saved a little bit of money and he could possibly help me. So he sat me down, he made me, uh, present him with a business plan and I outlined everything for him and he set up a, a he didn't hook me up with the interest he set me up with a, a loan a small it was a small loan uh, you know I think it was I think it was like 25 or fifty thousand dollars it wasn't and it, for a, those of you listening when you're starting your own business that's really that's not a lot of cash flow you know to, to operate so but I was very grateful and I remember um you know being young I think I was what was I 26 27 when I started that uh I remember I paid him a payment at the very beginning like two days late and he was charging me interest nonetheless and he I remember he he got really disappointed with me like his face dropped he was upset and I remember I I never did that again ever since then and and I took it very as seriously as he did but that's how I got it going and that's how I got it off the ground and um you know Phelps gym was born after that I trained I trained in a couple local gyms until I found a place to to rent and I rented a small basically it was an old flower shop in a, a farmer's market but I I turned it into what ended up being a really cool atmosphere and it had that blue collar kind of warehousey type feel. So it all worked out in the end, but it just took a while to get there. So you're training mostly dudes and a lot of strength training at the time, right? If I have that right. Yeah. How, how did you get from that to some of the program based stuff? Yeah. So I was, uh, are you talking about like metabolic training? Yeah, stuff? yeah. Yeah. So basically I, I you know, I, I did execute on my vision. Like I trained a ton of high school and college athletes. And I, I, 
those were really fun times, you know, and I actually, some of our current trainers worked out with me as high school and college athletes. And that's how, you know, a bunch of our current clients. And it's funny because uh, that was back in 2008, 2009, when I, when I started when 10 years later, I, I see some of these kids out and about, you know, in life now, and they're, they have kids, you know, and they're like, they're men, you know, and it's just, it's funny because I was, I saw this one thing on Instagram, this one kid was like entering his last year of college. I was like, holy shit, I trained that kid when he played Pop Warner football when he was like 11. Yeah. So it's just, it's crazy. But uh, no, so I trained a lot of high school and college football players, athletes, great experience. But, you know, anyone who does this for a living, you know, you can't, you have to diversify your your client base. You know, there's just not enough of them. They can only work out after school, really. So what are you going to do the rest of the day? So I did some personal training, which I didn't love, but I did it because I had to. Um, and, you know, one of my big things is it's so much more fun to train groups of people than to privately train. I had, I made some great relationships and experiences with clients that, uh, you know, I really looked forward to working with them and talking to them. And then you work with your people who don't really want to be there and, you know, maybe you don't click for whatever reason. So it kind of makes the day drag on and it's not quite as fun. So I did that, but I was training an entire high school football team and the moms asked me, um, if I would start a program for them. So I said, sure. So I started this metabolic meltdown, I called it. And I, I kind of viewed it as like a boot camp, but I didn't take it seriously at all. And, you know, I had about 10 to 20 moms that I did this with three times a week at 830 in the morning. And, you know, it kind of grew a bit, but I didn't really put any effort into growing or expanding it. Then it kind of just organically started growing a little bit. I started doing it for my wife and her friends after school and my sister and her friends. And it kind of was all women kind of kind of grew and grew and grew. And then just over time, some of the guys I was personal training, they were like, why are you training us for I think I was charging them like 40 bucks an hour for $40 when you could be training 30 of them and make way more money? This is this is your future. This is your path. It probably took me a couple years to really listen to them and apply what they were saying. Thankfully, I, I did eventually listen to them. But, um, you know, I just wasn't that interested in, in abandoning my dreams of working with athletes at that time. Um, you know, but over time, my passion towards helping adults and, and the general population, I shifted that way. And eventually I made the transition over to doing all metabolic training programming. I started doing the workouts myself. Um, I drank the Kool-Aid and, and really haven't looked back since, but it was kind of a, a natural genesis to get to that point. Um, it was never forced. Uh, it was all genuine and authentic. And, you know, um, the, the tipping point probably was in 20, 2013 when my wife quit her job and I suddenly had to try and provide for the family. Um, that really forced me to take things to a new level. Yeah, and that's really where our paths started yep. crossed. Um, my wife and I had been doing like a group CrossFit class at the time, which was right next to the insurance agency that she owns that I was also working at the time. And we've been taking this CrossFit class, or not CrossFit class, uh, P90X class, sorry, yeah. P90X class, where basically the guy just showed us how to do the same stuff there in the videos. He's but just it, providing you accountability. Accountability, and and he was providing, and, and there was a group atmosphere, sure. and, and it was nice to do it in person and have somebody there, and, and, and just like at a metabolic class today, you know, and, and it was fun, but it was also very limiting, and he was kind of a dick, um, and we, she eventually decided to leave, and when she left, that was probably the most intense workout she had ever done up until that point, so she was looking for something similar, and she was referred to Metabolic Meltdown, and uh, I remember the very first time she went, uh, she came back, and she's like, you know, the place is kind of a shithole, 
damn, it was a good workout, she goes. And, you know, and, and, and in fairness, you know, it was. It was an old farmer's market with truckers smoking cigarettes in the back. And, um, and but she loved it. You know what I mean? She loved how hard she was pushed in the, in the way that the workout trained her. And what was wild was um, uh, she started to outpace me from a fitness perspective. Like she was getting very fit, very fast, much faster than she had with the P90X. And I started to look at her going, oh my God, my wife is going to be stronger and much more fit than me. And not that there's a problem with that, uh, but the competitor yeah, I in say, me. I, I think that ship has sailed. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, today, <laughs> she's way, way out ahead of me. But um, you're, you're in very good shape, but she's, <laughs> she's like the Olympian of moms. Yeah, <laughs> I know. No. Pound, pound for pound, yeah. she, would destroy, she destroys me. Um, but at the time, my yeah. ego was still of such yeah. that I was like, I don't want this to happen. So I remember going down there and I walked in for the first time and uh, Lindsay and Drew were both there at that time when I first got there, um, uh, two of uh, your two longest tenure trainers. And now uh, Lindsay is our uh, director of training um, for our expanding business. And uh, Drew runs our largest flagship location um, in Green Island. And um, and I just remember walking in, and, and and this is kind of where I want our conversation to, to, to swing to. Um, the very first time I walked in, um, I had no idea what to expect. And I think that's the case for a lot of people when they come to a, to a group class. Uh, you, 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 I think there's a stigma, especially for men. There certainly was for me at the time where I was like, you know, only women take classes. You know what I mean? I don't take classes. You know, guys go to the gym and do three sets of 10 and grunt and, you know, and, and look at each other while we're walking around the gym for our next set. You know what I mean? Like and flex in the mirror. Like that's what you do. And, uh, you know, it's bench press, squat rack, maybe some pull-ups, and then you flex in the mirror, and that's a workout. And I remember having no idea what to expect, and uh, I can't even remember what station I started at, and I didn't know what half the movements were, but what I thought was really interesting was it was fun as hell. Like, it just was, like... Drew was dancing, Lindsay's yelling at people, you're getting everyone ordered, you know, doing the, showing everyone how to properly do the exercises. So I walked- Some things never change. I yeah. feel like that's exactly <laughs> that's what goes exactly, on today. Yeah. But it was like, <laughs> I guess my question for you is, and like as an entrepreneur, and, and I, I do not consider myself an entrepreneur, um, but you very much are. I think when I, when I come into many businesses, and, and I've seen this in the insurance world, I've seen it in many of the other businesses that I've consulted with, um, this, this idea of, of, of a community is really the core of what any business is. Like we all have the things that we do. You help people get fit, feel better about themselves, um, get stronger, healthier, uh, mentally and physically, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately we keep coming back because it's fun. It, the, the people are engaged. You like who you're around. They make you feel good about yourself, supportive. Like, is that just something that happened organically for you? Or was it, were you thinking about it? Like, how does that form? For people who feel like that energy and community is missing from their business, like, you have cultivated it now in six locations, almost 3,000 members. You have 30-plus trainers who all live and breathe it. Like, back in those early days, how did you dial into that? Yeah, so I, I think for me, my trainers at Metabolic, they know I have one hard, hard, fast rule you need to be all in on metabolic training if you're gonna work here. And the reason that's so important to me is because 
I could really directly correlate when I when I decided to to step into metabolic training and adapt it as my own training philosophy. My effort teaching the classes greatly increased. The results of the clients increased. Even though I always cared, I'm sure my passion for the training I provided them increased. Uh, we got more men coming to the gym, so that increased. And it just kind of spiraled from there. But I think the it all stems from the passion of, of, of the training staff and, and the passion of the entrepreneur, the leader, whoever's behind all. If that person isn't, and people aren't stupid, they know when you're not as into something or you're not super genuine about it. Uh, it just, you're never gonna build that, that special third place that we always talk about if you don't have the passion for what you're doing. And, and my passion was lacking for, for some, a long period of time until I decided to, to really take that on and say, you know, if Ryan Hanley's gonna come in here with his wife and do this workout, then I'm gonna do it with my wife. And suddenly we started getting other wives bring their husband in, and other wives bringing their brother in or whatever else. And, you know, I think as an entrepreneur, I, I've made a lot of mistakes. Am I allowed to swear on here? I almost swore. Yes, I, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I've made a shitload of mistakes over the years. But the one thing I think I've always had is this bizarre intuition where I can kind of see the future and I kind of know what's going to really stick on the macro, on the bigger level. And I might screw up a little bit in the application of that, but in my mind, I tend to know what's going to work. And at that time, people like to rag on CrossFit, but I have to say, like, nobody really built communities in the boutique fitness space the way that CrossFit did. They, they really defined how to do that. And I really always loved that and I respected that. And I think that was always on my mind that I wanna do what they do, but I wanna offer a program that's more applicable to the masses and a little bit safer and enjoyable. And that's really how it all started. But I did recognize very early on that community was important. I also recognized that if I was going to build a community, I needed to be a part of the community. Yeah. So one of the things that you just brought up, um, and, and, I, and actually before I go there, I do want to reiterate the fact that I, and I've, I've actually written about this, and just so everyone knows, our audio engineer yelled at us to turn our phones off, and that was his phone going off. I'm so. curious as to why his alarm was going yeah. off at uh, yeah, 10.45 a.m. It's so. time to go kayaking. Yeah. Is yeah. that what it is? <laughs> um, so you, you guys will get to know uh, Kyle Yagielski uh, as, we, as we go, our, our audio engineer here. But um, so, you know, one of the things that I think and, and I've actually written about this since I started working here because it's one of the things that I've always uh, that's always enamored me to the place is is you do the workouts and that seems I, I literally did a video on my on my YouTube channel about this particular aspect of, of our business was like you you this is how you get fit like metabolic you don't teach metabolic classes and then go three sets of ten on the bench and that's like you get fit, you stay fit, you stay strong because you do these workouts. So on any given day, someplace in, in one of the five local locations here in Albany, someone could be working out right next to you or right next to Drew or right next to Tim O'Connor or Kelsey or any of our other trainers who are going to, at some point in their day, depending on what their schedule is, going to get their workout in. And that part of it to me has always been so meaningful as a client because I tell you this all the time like I never want to lose the client mentality because I think it allows me to try to empathize with how decisions we make in the business impact the clients 
And um, that has always been something that's enamored. I, I guess, you know, how, I, when did that hit you that that was a crux of this business? Like, I think so many other trainers and, and I, now that I watch so many on Instagram and so many on YouTube and stuff, I'm watching so much stuff, it feels like that isn't intuitive for a lot of people. They have their way of training and then they'll train other people in different styles and, um, and, and, and not in a nefarious way, just they don't always seem to be locked into one thing. You've locked into metabolic and, and said, this is a key part of it, you have to do the workout. And, and what was, when did that hit you? What was the thought process? How, what was the genesis of that? Yeah, so basically, uh, you know, I, 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 like I said, I, I think we would both admit that anyone in my shoes, you, 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 you know deep down inside the impact of have, performing the workout is gonna have on people. I always knew that if I was ever gonna take it to the next level, that I needed to experience this and I needed to genuinely believe in it. But I'll be honest with you, um, at the time, I was the three sets of time guy. I was doing the bro splits and I'd been doing that for years. And you know, th there's a genetic limitation that we all have, right? Like in this, in this lifetime of how much muscle we can build, I've been lifting for 20 years and I look like I play soccer. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, there's a, there's a limit to it, yeah. but at the same time, I was watching some of these women get like upper back development and delts and glutes. And those are the three muscle groups we always see. Lindsay and I talk about that a lot, that we see the most development in. But I was watching it and we were growing, but it was a lot of women and you were one of maybe like five dudes there. Um, interestingly enough, all five are still with us, which yeah. is pretty crazy, but uh, pretty cool too. But um, I was like, I made Drew Smith, one of my first trainers. And as you alluded to, one of our uh, studio managers at our flagship location, I made him do it with me. Now, this is a former, he drew, played collegiate football at the division one level at his university, the University of Albany. He was the all-time leading scorer, uh, played in 2013 with the Buffalo Bills in the preseason before he suffered a, a injury that had to end his career short. But so Drew, in other words, Drew's a, a beast. Yeah, he didn't, super he, beast. He's a beast. He didn't want to do it though. And I made him do it. I made him do it three days a week and I did it too. And I was like, I was like, dude, this is what we're doing. The plan is we're going to get men to do this workout and they're going to see us doing it. The women are going to talk and they're going to bring their husbands in. I shit you not. That is exactly what happened. Yeah, exactly what happened. And it took about a month and we started seeing men come in, men come in, men come in. And then funny thing happened, though. Drew and I started getting in better shape and we started getting stronger um, in, in that functional way that metabolic allows you to, to gain strength when you're in a fatigued state. And we were building muscle and getting more ripped and we were just hooked and we haven't looked back ever since. And that that passion really sparked my belief that for the busy man, the busy woman, metabolic training is the answer because I'm just like you. I'm just like anybody else. I'm a dad. I have a pretty demanding job <laughs> that, yeah. that chews up a lot of my day. I don't have three hours to work out in the gym. Not only that, but even if I did, I think this is a better system for most people to build muscle and to gain strength, improve their mobility, improve their conditioning, get that athletic look that they want. I think this is the, I genuinely think this is the best way to do it. And that's part of my, my sales approach is I, I'm not BSing people. I'm not just saying this just to say it. I'm saying it because I'm genuine. You know, I'm not a very gifted salesman, but I've grown a pretty successful business simply based on the fact that anyone who talks to me knows the passion that I have for this style of training. And I have that passion because it works.
Yeah. It, it, you know, not to, not to oversell metabolic or anything, but I, you know, I was a college athlete. I was never overly athletic. I had some decent hand-eye coordination and, and uh, maybe decent fast twitch muscles for a small period of time. Uh, and, and I'd like to believe that I worked kind of hard, but I'm not in any regard someone that you would consider athletic. And then when you're on, when you're in the gym and you're working out and you see, and you say to yourself like, this workout's good enough for a former Buffalo Bill, the greatest sports team in the history of the world, certainly the best uniforms, Kyle's nodding, go Bills. <clears throat> um, and you see him pushing himself through this workout and struggling, you know, but, but doing the workout, it's hard for you to say that the workout's not good enough for you, right? It's really hard. The other side of it is, and this is, this is like, when people ask me like, what is it about metabolic? I just say like, I walk differently. Like I walk shoulders back, I walk more confidently. I don't, I'm not like favoring a knee or a back or something. Like your, your body just feels more in tune. You feel like you're using all your muscles. You're not favoring things because of, of just this total body functional strength. And it really is quite, it's amazing, man. I mean, I've been doing it for six years, six years now. And I look forward to every workout. You know, I work out four, sometimes five days a week. Um, and mostly I don't do more because our, we have a lot going on and sometimes, but it's just, it is, it's pretty incredible what you've built and the product certainly speaks for itself. Yeah. And I think we've worked really hard to educate people as to what metabolic training is. Even if you go back to 2016, 2017, we had scores of people joining the gym, but some of these people would come in and they'd be like, that was a good workout. I'm going to go lift tomorrow. And I, I, I kept hearing this from people again and again. I was like, what do you mean you're going to go lift tomorrow? Like we just lifted like this, this is lifting. And so this past year, I've put a huge emphasis on educating people about what metabolic training is. And, you know, in one sentence, metabolic training is strength training at a pace, you know, and, and by doing that, I've kind of made people realize like, huh, I don't need to go to the gym and do traditional lifting if I work hard in metabolic. And what I like so much about it is, you know, you can go to the gym and you can squat 300 pounds. If you can't perform a set of uh, squats with a hundred pound kettlebell when you're fatigued, how much do you think that strength of being able to squat 300 pounds is going to translate into a real life scenario where you have to actually do something? Cause I don't know about you. I'm going to take the person who's very physically strong, fit and strong and is able to combine those as a person that's going to really be able to apply that strength. And I, I kind of hate the word functional, but it's applicable here in a functional way that allows them to uh, really maximize whatever they're trying to do in life on a day-to-day -day basis. So there's no doubt that metabolic, both the workout philosophy itself and the business, is a, it's a great product. It just is. Uh, if you look at our retention numbers, you look at just the growth curve, you look at the interest we've already had in the expansion efforts that we're putting in place um, as we start our, our uh, I think you've switched it from Project World Domination to Infinity and Beyond, <laughs> uh, which I'm okay with either. Um, so for, for, the, for those people listening out there, there's a lot of people with good products who don't have the success that you've had. So if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm going, okay, this guy's got a got a great origin story. It's interesting. I get it. He's been entrepreneurial. He, he, you know, he ate shit for a long time and now he's starting to, to reap some of the benefit of, of all, how all his history stacked up 
to put him in the right place at the right time to grow metabolic and he's got a great product. I think there are a lot of people that probably share similar, similar origin stories and backgrounds and, and possibly even have a, a solid product just like metabolic, but have not seen the success or the growth that you have. So I'm very interested in your take on how you've taken what is a, what is a very good product that people want to come back for, want to use, has, there's a need and a desire in the market for it, but you've been, th- been able to take that kind of pent up potential and, and turn it into, actually turn it into real world success for a sustained basis. Like how the hell did you do that? Yeah, so I think this is a, it's an easy answer, but it's, it's a, not a brief answer, but it really comes down to the, you have to be a good, effective leader. And that's really the first thing, you know, like if I was suggesting a young entrepreneur do anything, read a book on leadership, listen to a leadership podcast, like, you know, like this one, you know, like the, being a good, effective leader will get you so far. So there's a couple of things that, that went with being a leader that I always remembered and I still try to apply today is lead from the front. You have to be the hardest working person on your team, right? Because you're setting the tone, you're creating a culture. So everybody is gonna do what you do. They're gonna follow what you do. If you don't work hard, they're not gonna work hard and you're gonna have nothing. So you have to be willing, it seems obvious, but you have to be willing to bust your ass and you have to, it's 24 seven for us. You know, it's, it's not, you know, we go home at five and the day's over. It's never over. It's at least for me, it's not. In my mind, like it's always like, unless I'm occupied with my son or talking to my brother on the phone, I'm, I'm, I'm just business all the time, you know? And that's not probably what everybody wants to hear, but that's the truth. And I think that's how you kind of have to be when you're starting a new business uh, from the ground up. You have to have that, that drive and that work ethic to, to get there. With part of being a good leader is having good self-awareness and identifying your strengths and weaknesses. And one of the things that I've been able to do, I don't know how to edit, run podcasts or edit videos. So I hire people to do that because want to know why? They're better at it than I am. And I know that, you know, um, you know, I hired you because I viewed you as an excellent marketer with who's extremely ex- extroverted, well-spoken, um, excellent in sales. Those are areas that I'm not as strong in. You know, you and I are similar in many ways um, and we're very different in a lot of ways too. And you're, you're a far more extroverted type of person, which I knew, you know, as a CEO, you kind of have to have that quality to you. If you're going to, you got to be able to work a room, you got to be able to go to a golf outing, things like that. And People at Metabolic, um, maybe they'll be surprised to know this, maybe not. Maybe they could probably just guess. But I'm actually, I'm a pretty introverted guy. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I actually prefer to public speak or I love this podcast. This is great. What I hate doing is working a room at a social function. I, I hate that. Like, that, that drains energy out of me. Um, I, and that's why I think I didn't like personal training so much, really, to be honest. Like, it sounds funny and, and against the nature of it, but when I was personal training people, I just found that to be incredibly draining. And uh, when I'm a group and a group coach, uh, I just love the energy of pouring myself into that. It's a, it's a more, it's a less personal connection, even though we make it personal in the one-to-one, it's a little less personal. So, but I think, you know, getting back to what you'd asked me, delegate stuff out to people who are better than you, 
uh, you know, bust your ass and, and just, you know, create that culture in your workplace that is going to allow you to succeed. I see so many people that are just greedy, though, and you have to be able to share the pie. It's like I keep I keep using the share the pie example because the Cowboys holdout is going on right now. And uh, Jerry Jones is always talking about the pie. And it's uh, I, I'm going to mess these guys. Barry is it Barry Church or that Barry Jones, whatever. They got a good cornerback. They have um, Jalen Smith, the linebacker. They have Amari Cooper. They have Zeke Elliott. These are all very good players. And Zeke Elliott's holding out, trying to take take pie, and he's holding out. And Jerry Jones is giving away the pie. So I always that's in my head right now. But I'm just kind of always I'm willing to share the pie. I'm willing to strongly incentivize people um, and, and to allow people to take a little bit of ownership and pride over something that that we build because I, I don't like saying that I built this because I didn't build this. I had a lot of help from a lot of people who, who have a share of the pie, so to speak, including my sister and my wife. Um, you know, and I, and I always have had that, that team feel to this. It's not me, it's, it's us, you know, and, I, and we're doing this together. And, you know, if we're going to fight this war, then I'm going to be in the trenches with you guys and we're going to do this together. So, and that's, that's just in a nutshell, um, you know, I hope I properly, you know, depicted my my philosophy and in in my my views on leadership as well. But I think to be an effective leader, you got to live the life. You got to be in the trenches, and you can't just just dole out orders. You can't be insecure about you know what people think of your job title. I don't give a shit about job titles. You know that I could care less, um, or how much money you make or the car you drive. It means nothing um, compared to the reputation you can build through effective leadership strategies and techniques and uh just practicing what you preach yeah i i'm i don't this is not meant to to stroke your ego as you know that i'm perfectly willing to disagree with you as we've we've uh we've worked Yo, you're many, an extrovert that's why i heard you <laughs> many different things but um i actually think there's a couple other things that you that you didn't touch on and and this is one of the reasons why uh i've saved your interview for uh the the last of this launch week because um, you know, we, we knew each other and we had, were, you know, we, I think we, we were friends, but not close friends when you, uh, sat me down and, and offered me this position. Um, and so I've gotten to know you, but we've, geez, we probably talk on the phone 17 times a day, every day for the last seven plus months and gotten to know each other pretty well. And some of the things that I have been most enamored by and, and really what I see as having taken you from, a, a good quality product to actual success. Like having that translated um, are a couple things. One, um, you handle people disagreeing with you very well. Uh, I have, you know, this is my third executive position in a company and I can tell you that most people in your position do not do that very well. So if I'm sitting at home and I'm listening to this podcast and I'm saying, what can I do to start to translate my business to the next level? So so I'm good at X, I have a good product that does X and I need to take it to level. The first thing I would think about if I were learning from you would be, um, we were disagreeing this morning on different things, right? You know, and, and not disagreeing like we're yelling at each other, but like, hey, have you thought through this? How does this work? I'm not sure that that would work. And, and what I found very interesting and one of the reasons, um, which, I mean, not, not that 
I would be not excited to be here. But one of the things that keeps me so energized is that I can come to you and say, dude, I'm not sure that we've thought all the way through this. And you're not like, nope, screw you. This is what I want to do. This is what we're doing. It's okay. Let's back up and talk about that and figure it out. I think that's a, a huge key that most people in your position, most true entrepreneurs, they don't do. They think their vision is the only way. And true, you have a strong opinion and a strong feel. And ultimately, at the end of the day, if you want to go a direction, that's the way we're going. But I do think that the ability to listen and to debate and discuss and allow others to poke holes in your, in, your, in your thought process only makes the idea stronger. And I think that's how we've gotten to some of the, to the place we are so quickly. I mean, you know, you guys were in the very, very early stages of franchising when I got here and we're in full-blown expansion mode at this point and have iterated two or three times in that process and, and only for the better, only to make it more a more sound product and a more sound experience. I think that's very interesting. Um, I do think I have seen, you know, another aspect of you as an entrepreneur, which I think is very rare, is I've watched you give up not just like some money, but legitimate real money in the short term for what ultimately you believe will be a long-term payout and long-term security for your family. That shit does not happen very often. I mean, I have, I've watched, I've been part of CEOs who will literally gimmick, scheme, cheat, steal, lie to make sure that they get theirs first before anyone else. And um, because they're the entrepreneur, they're the, the person, and, and that's what they deserve because it's their idea. And that, that I think, is something that the reason we're gonna be successful in large part is because you're playing that long game. And the third thing that if I were at home and I was like writing the three entrepreneur leadership lessons I learned from you, um, the third one would be your willingness to take risks. Hiring me was a risk. I've never been a CEO before. For the most part, like you said, I'm a sales and marketing guy. Um, that was a risk. Uh, taking on a content forward approach is a risk. The, starting a Liverpool location when you knew in your mind, you knew you've admitted you guys weren't ready, ready to open that location, but you also knew it was important for your business to be out there and to, and to be outside the capital district. And you did it. Um, we spend money on things. We try things. And when they don't work, we stop and we, we pivot. And, uh, I think that that willingness to take smart risks, not stupid risks, but smart, calculated risks is something that, again, if I'm handicapping or, or doing the, the biography at home, um, the things that I've been the most enamored by and the things that I've learned from you are that um, these type of smart, calculated risks, you have to take them. If you play it smart, that good product never actually has a chance. It just It's just always going to be this little thing. Um, and if you desire to be more, you have to take those chances. So I have been... Um, I wanted to share that with you because I think, uh, I, you know, I learn from you every single day and I think that that what you're doing here and the way that you're operating this business is very, very special. I appreciate that. Those are super kind words and I just think, you know, <clears throat> I have a lot of 
I've always been enamored by, uh, even as a little kid, just military history and, and just that I wanted to be a soldier when I was a kid. As <laughs> When I got a little older, that, that changed. But even in college, I remember there was a moment in time where I considered applying to officer candidate school as a senior in high school during 9-11, or excuse me, college during 9-11. So, you know, I'm glad I didn't go that route, to be honest with you, even though I have all the respect in the world for the men and women that serve us every day. But um, you know, I like to really make a lot of analogies to, I like to think of the movie like 300. And I just think about, you know, like just being, we don't have a big team, but we have a strong team and there's no weak links in our team. And, you know, for me, I just think like, you've got to be, if you're an entrepreneur and you're not willing to bet on yourself, um, then you're not really an entrepreneur. You yeah. know, you've got to be willing to, to bet on yourself and, and to, and to, and to have that level of confidence. There is nothing that I am as confident about as I am that metabolic is going to do what we say it's going to do someday. I know it in my heart. I know it in my gut. I know it. And I want my employees to know that, you know, and I just think that put your money where your mouth is, you know, just, just back it, work hard and it will happen. And I think that, you know, if I, if I'm, if I'm your leader and I'm taking from you, what kind of leadership is that, you know, but what if I'm your leader and I, and I give, uh, what if I'm your leader and I don't put myself in front of you, but I stand next to you? You know, what kind of message does that send to your employees? And what does that make them want to do for you? It makes, I'll tell you what it does. It makes them want to run through a wall for you. And, and the, it makes them extremely loyalty to the brand that you've built. And it gives them a sense of ownership of it, which is what I want. And this isn't just mine anymore. It's, it's, it's much bigger than me. And I should probably knock on wood, but it's at the point now where if something were to happen to me tomorrow, you know, this is going to go on, you know, and, and that's a really pretty cool feeling for me, for me to, to reflect upon and think about. And I think a lot of that comes from the culture that we've created here. And, and that, and that comes from that sense of, you know, you have to be willing to take a risk, but I think subtly too, when you're an entrepreneur and you take calculated risks, you're also communicating to your team that you believe in them too. And that, and that you want to go fight that fight with them because you think you're going to win, you know, yeah. and that's, that's really where I'm at. So, you know, I've always, like I said earlier, I've always seen the big picture. I have a, I guess the CEO side of me, I do have a macro view of things. I, ha I have a vision and I, I know to get there. I'm not, if I nickel and dime everything along the way, we're never going to get there. I know obviously who has the most to gain financially. It's me. So I'm the one who should be putting up the most at the beginning. And that's what I, that's what I've tried to do. And I've tried to share as much as I can. I've tried to incentivize as much as I can. Um, you know, and I, I, I do see, I, you and I share the same philosophy with hiring. We get talented people that come in here. I'm like Kyle here. Um, you know, and I see a 22 year old kid come into an interview and he reminds me of somebody who's 10 years older in terms of his his work ethic. And I, I don't see a lot of 22 year old kids these days that that are willing to like roll up their sleeves and get after it. You know, I just you just really don't see that a lot. So a lot of people that come in here, I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but I know I want them. Yeah. I, I know I want them in my shield wall in the movie 300. That's what I know. Hire the people, so, not the position. Exactly. And, and I, you know, with you, I kind of, I did, you kind of sell yourself a little bit short here, but uh, I, I did both with you. Um, I just knew that this was a guy, I wanted to be a part of this. Um, and I wanted to empower you. I wanted to, to let you take some ownership of it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we do this thing. But I think just from a leadership, because I know you want to talk about leadership a lot on this podcast. I think 
you know, you, you've got to always align yourself with your people and not in front of your people. And I, I've seen poor management in the past. And, you know, I remember one situation. This is just a quick side note of how I feel. Um, I watched a group of people give an employee at a company a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. And I remember watching one of the superior officers of that company come in to take the Dunkin' Donuts gift card to get coffee. And it made me so pissed off. It, it really pissed me off because I was just thinking to myself, like, what kind of leader are you? You are taking from your people. Yeah. Not only is it showing that you're weak because you're that desperate to use a $2 coffee on the gift card that's for the employees, but it shows that you're you're not on their team. You're just like, fuck you guys. I'm just gonna get mine. Yeah. You know, and like I just that always it's something minor, but it always stuck with me. And I really vowed to myself that I, I was grateful that I will never be that way. Um, you know, and I will always do anything I can for anybody that works for me as long as they share the same values that I do. Dude, uh this has been great. I'm glad that we were able to to share your story with the audience and and connect with people. And I think uh Man, I think that you have a very, um, a very humble style of leader uh, of leadership. That uh, if more, that's one that maybe some of the guys might disagree with you in terms of. Well, the yeah, style. no, this is completely different <laughs> if you're a trainer because then you get right up in their ass. A but, humbly intense style. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, no, but I think I, I think having watched you, um, I think it's a it's it is an it's an enviable leadership style that I wish more people um, took the same vantage point as you do. And it's one of the reasons why uh, I'm so glad that inside our company, we've invested in getting your story more out into the world. You're creating great content on Instagram. A lot of it is focused around the workout, but you also share a lot of of your own philosophy and beliefs as well. So I want to make sure uh, if you're listening to this, uh, Instagram.com forward slash metabolic Matt. Follow along there. Matt Phelps Fit is your personal blog. Also, trainmetabolic.com if you want to learn about what we're doing from a metabolic standpoint. And if you want to be involved in this business on a deeper level, you can go to metabolicinvest.com. Um, I highly, highly recommend following along with Matt's journey, connecting with him. You're not going to be disappointed um, that you did, that you, that you took the time to follow him on social dude. Huge pleasure, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot, man. I just wanted to add real quick, you know, I think, you know, in closing, I really appreciate you having me on here. And there's basically two things that I've done that there's nothing special about me, really. I mean, I'm a dime a dozen, but the two things that I've done, I've worked very hard and I've tried to treat people kindly and with respect. And I think if you do those two things, you're going to succeed in life. I really feel that way. No doubt, brother. Thank you. Thanks, man.